This morning we are in Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, it's the first of a two-part thing. Uh, Sharon had, had threatened to set the whole ream of paper up there on the, uh, the pulpit. I told her, it takes the load and the work off of me. If, if, if she would have you know, read through a whole ream of paper and then I gave him David just a little bit longer passage of Scripture to read, then we could... Never mind. Mark chapter 12. We see Jesus as He is, he is resolute in His intent, heading toward uh, that, that day of crucifixion. Uh, we find on uh, page 849 in your pew Bibles, uh, if you turn there, if you'd read, that we would uh, receive the gospel with all readiness, but we'd examine it, look at it ourselves to see that it's true. Mark chapter 12, we're looking, I call it fakery and faithfulness, as we look at uh, Jesus speaking about uh, beware of the scribes and the Pharisees, but also uh, we see and we'll look at in more detail next week uh, the poor widow there in their midst and her faithfulness. Here's something that we see daily. Something that we see on the news, we talk about, we, we, we see all around us. We, we see these caricatures that are based on reality, these, these pictures of people that, that populate uh, contemporary culture. One might be the media-savvy politician. Oh, this week we've seen plenty of them as they decided that the government really doesn't need to operate. Uh, we'll send the military home and say, thank you very much for your service. Uh, we'll let you know when we can pay you and bring you back. Politicians who grandstand and talk about the others shutting it down. Media-savvy politicians who spend more time in front of a makeup mirror and in front of a TV camera than actually practicing the public obligation of statesmanship. Who are not public servants, but are self-serving in their office. We think about that particular caricature or the the CEO of a great business uh, whose luxurious homes and private jets and lush expense accounts, they swell, but it's disproportionate to what's actually happening in their company. You see, the company's stock price is falling. People are being laid off. And the institution that has been placed under their care is in shambles as they themselves make a fortune. Or we see sports stars. Sports stars, obviously talented, but oh, oh, so highly paid. Making millions of dollars playing a game that others do for fun. And all the while, they belittle, ignore, and ridicule the fans that enable them to make a living or the things that we, we cherish. We look at and see movie stars. Movie stars who use the infatuation of the crowd to allow them to promote an ill-informed and often destructive political agenda simply because they're famous. Or, or listen to what Jesus says. We find this in Mark chapter 12, verse 38. This is Jesus, and in His teaching He said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the feasts, who devour widows' houses and make a pretense of long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury, and he watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came, and she put in two small copper coins, which make up a penny. And Jesus called His disciples to Him, and He said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. Pray with me. Lord, thank You for Your Word, its faithfulness, its power. Lord, may it write its truth upon our hearts. May it 
Lord, empower us to serve you well. Forgive, Lord, the man who speaks. Father, you know my sin. You know my weakness. I pray that people this morning would know your power. They would know your authority and they would hear your voice. For I pray in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. So Jesus doesn't talk about the politician. There are plenty of politicians in that day. He's not talking about the, those who were, were wealthy. There's plenty who were wealthy in that day. He's not talking about uh, those who had notoriety and, and popularity for uh, competing or for doing any number of public things, but he's speaking about the church leader. He's talking about the shepherds, the ones entrusted, but the ones who had been using their public obligations, responsibilities, their public trust for accolades. Those who privately use power entrusted to them to line their own pockets. Jesus is, is speaking. He says they will receive a greater condemnation. And for the, the purpose of dramatic contrast, uh, Mark aligns these two together. Uh, Jesus speaking about the scribes and then that picture of that poor, humble widow who has given all that she has because she loves the Lord with all of her heart, with all of her soul, with all of her mind and with all of her strength. But we'll spend our time with her next week. But just know that that lies lurking, waiting for us to see it by means of contrast. Those who adore the public spotlight and the privilege pressed up against this humble widow who would have gone unnoticed were it not for Jesus. Now, before we coast through this, there's a safe way to do this. There's an easy way to do this. There's a comfortable way to do this. We're not going to do it that way. It's an old Puritan prayer that says, Oh Lord, protect me from a comfortable pulpit. It's so very easy for a pastor to stand in front of a particularly pious group of folk. And I say that in a good way. Pious is, is not a bad word if it's true and sincere and heartfelt. But a particularly pious group of folks, we can sit here and we can very comfortably decry the sins of, of politicians, CEOs, sports stars, and movie stars. We can, we can do that because what does that do? That means we're pointing our finger outside of the church doors. At, we can even look at those professional clergy, those rock star preachers who end up making a shipwreck of their ministry because of their personal greed, their ambition, their pride. But to really look at Scripture means that we have to look into the eyes of our Savior. And can you imagine for a second talking to Jesus, having Him spend that time talking to you, and for His words to be, let's talk about them. Jesus is talking to us. He's talking about us. He's talking about a condition of the heart that's common to us all. He's making particular mention of those who were attacking him that day, knowing that they would also hear him. That he was warning against the false teaching. And we do cry out against false teaching, but we need to see the true teaching of Jesus and what he is saying. We look our Savior in our eye and we know that he's talking to the small town pastor, not just the rock star preacher in the big pulpit. I don't want this sermon to be about that, but it is. He's talking to the elder, not just the one who has been given charge over thousands of dollars and people and ministry and great. He's talking to the elder 
in Millbrook, Alabama. He's talking to the deacon. He's talking to the Sunday school teacher. He's talking, men and women, to the Christian. This is not a time where we can look at God's Word and say, thank you, Lord, for the break. You're talking about other people. He's speaking to us. We can spend time in safety pointing to the well-known examples, or we can do the difficult but useful work of getting to the root of the matter. So in short, here's what I'm encouraging us to do. We turn off the TV, and we look in the mirror, and we hear God's Word. What does he say? He says to beware of, of these things. He speaks of the scribes, using them as an example, those who like to walk around in long robes and enjoy the greetings in the marketplace. Now, he's talking about particularly the uniform of the day there among the scribes who would make great pretense in the clothes that they were because clothes really did make the man. We think about a day in which clothes clothes themselves were a precious commodity. Why else would, would soldiers gamble for the, the, the torn and the stained clothes of Jesus at the foot of the cross? They, they, they gambled for them because cloth in and of itself was a, was a, a, a rare commodity. You, you kept it. You, you, you cherished it. You cared for it. You mended it. You, you didn't just you know, dispense with it, put it in the goodwill box, and then run to Target and get something new. And then you think about those in particular, those in that day who were people of great importance. We think about somebody like Lydia in the book of Acts. She was known as, as a seller of purple. Did you know you could sell a color? A seller of purple taking these small uh, bits of dye uh, harvested from sea creatures. She would take them and, and, and sell this dye that those who wore purple dyed clothes uh, were considered to be very, very important because it was very pricey. That was the brand name. It wasn't a, a, a name on a handbag or a garment. It was the color that meant so much about it. Or even the many colors it might be. We look back in the Old Testament at Joseph and we see the importance that his father placed upon him uh, by wearing that robe, that coat of many colors. And we see here that that's the love of those who, who want to trumpet their self-importance. They would dress themselves up. That others would look and say, wow. Wow. How impressive they are. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 5, Jesus explains, He's speaking about this same topic. He says, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. They, they, they dress to be seen. They dress to demonstrate their importance. And He goes on to say, they even make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Talking about the phylacteries, those things that they would wrap around their arms. A, a, a taking from Deuteronomy that we would bind God's Word around our, our wrist, on our, on our head. Uh, the fringes of garment. All these things to, to speak about the importance of who they are. And so we say, sure, those who would wear these long robes to distinguish themselves, well... Jesus is right to condemn them. But I ask you for just a second, are those things that we do, that we do in order to, to present ourselves as more important, more distinguished, more uh, reputable than others, maybe not the clothes that we wear? You know, actually, I do think we live in a time, particularly within churches, that people uh, take it almost as a badge of honor that they, would, that they would not dress up for church. You can go wrong either way. Taking pride and not dressing up, taking pride and dressing up. Wearing clothes to impress, wearing clothes to position yourself as more holy, more important, more devout is wrong. But maybe it's not clothes. How about the, the bumper stickers that we would, might placard all over our car so that others would know that we're Christian? 
I remember the story of a policeman. He was telling me about this, this strange situation. Uh, there was a, a, a guy, it was an incident of road rage, and, and a man uh, was tailgating this woman who was driving. He was tailgating, he was honking, he was yelling, he was cutting off others in traffic, trying to get around this woman, flashing his lights, honking, saluting and waving and all the things that people do with their hands when they're upset as they drive. Rolling down the window when he got up beside her at a traffic light, fixing to leave her, rolls down the window and starts yelling at her. The policeman turns on his lights. He pulls the man over. The man expected with great indignation that he'd be receiving a ticket. The police officer asked him to step out of the car, put handcuffs on him, put him in the back of his car, took him to the police station, and there he remained for quite some time. The police officer tells the story. He said, I had to eventually apologize to the man. The man comes out. He did not understand why he'd been arrested. The, officer, the driver demanded, why did you arrest me? The officer explained. He said, sir, when I saw you behaving as you did in traffic, well, I noticed on the back of your car there was a what would Jesus do bumper sticker. I saw on, 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 there was a choose life uh, license plate tag uh, cover on the back of your car. I saw a follow me to Sunday school sticker in your window and that little fish, the ichthus there on the back of your car. He said, you have to understand, naturally I assumed you had stolen that vehicle. We dress ourselves up, whether it's in clothes, behaviors, other things. We, we, we press ourselves to being what we want others to see us as. Jesus says that's, that's wrong. Beware of those who would do such things. But what else? It's the friends and the influence aspect of it that, that being a religious leader, being religiously prominent, being religiously devout in many ways brings prestige and honor. Friends and influence. You see right there, he says, they love the great seats at the feasts. They like for folks to call them rabbi as they walk by with deference and honor. I think about the mafia don in, in the cities. Now, we don't have mafioso wandering around here too very often in Millbrook, Alabama. But you think about the mafia don, the, the leader of a particular neighborhood, walking through the neighborhood, and as he walked up to all the vendors from whom he extorts uh, protection money, they would give him fruit and the best of the breads and the steaks and the wines and all the things, the best of their produce, and they would greet him. Uh, but he would mistake the fear that he had instilled among them. He'd mistake that as being true honor or friendship. The scribes and the Pharisees, as they would uh, trumpet their importance before others, others would, would see it as being a benefit to, to show deference to these religious leaders, and they saw that to be a, a true statement of their worth, their importance. They thought the influence meant that they were important in front of men, therefore they must be important in front of God. But further, they, they enjoyed the spotlight. They enjoyed, it says, the long, pretentious prayers. Now, it's not the duration of the prayers, but it's the pretense. It's that ideas that the content of them were simply intended to impress, to pray in such a way to impress others and not God. I a dear brother, I, and I love a good Scottish brogue. To hear somebody, that's just a rich way of speaking. I wish I could. I can't roll my R's. I can't necessarily speak that way. I have to question whether that's really where my ancestry is from. But that good Scottish brogue and had a, had a friend as he would pray, his brogue would get particularly thick. He, he had his prayer voice. And he was actually challenged by one who had concern for his, his, his soul, really saying, do you know that when you pray... It'd be like if you come home to your wife 
And you've been talking all day just like this. And you come home and you say, Oh dear wife, it is, yea, verily good that we should just be here in your presence and just enjoy this meal and just, wife, I thank you for this idea that we would adopt an affected manner of speech, a voice that is not our own, no sincerity of what it is. We think about the priest as he stood there in the, in the temple and he cried out in a loud voice so that all would hear and we get a snippet of his prayer. He says, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. And I'm not like these other people. For all that I do, I feast, I, I, I fast constantly. I give a tenth of all that I receive. I, I do more than is ever asked of me. Thank you that you have made me better than the riffraff. Jesus explains that there were two men praying in that temple. It was the second that was heard. It was the second who left that place having been heard by God. It was the, the tax collector recognizing his sin, who cried out and said, Lord, be merciful for me, to me, the sinner, the sinner, not knowing the condition of anybody else's life, but I know mine. And if there was ever the need for a Messiah, a Savior, it is me. I am the sinner. Not intending to impress anyone, but storming the gates of heaven for mercy and forgiveness. Not a desire for the spotlight, but for the shining countenance of His heavenly Father. We also see Jesus is, is warning against this idea that we would seek personal gain because of our relationship with the Lord. And I have to admit, I, I, was, I was pastoring in Monroeville, Alabama, and was going down a little back road uh, to make it from one end of the town to the other. Small town, 7,000 folks in the town, right? And driving through, I'd been there for quite s- several years, and, you know, was, how folks, folks knew the Presbyterian pastor. And I'm driving down, and, and I have to say I was exceeding the speed limit just a little bit. Don't do that. I was. Learn from my mistakes. I get pulled over. As I get pulled over as a police officer, I didn't recognize. I knew several of the police officers. And as I got pulled over, I have to say, in my explanation of, of, of why I was speeding, it was because I was on my way to church. <laughs> I was about the Lord's business. Thank you for laughing. The police officer, to this day, then I didn't, but to this day I wish he had said, well, then certainly you understand about public safety, about attending to the needs of others before yourself. Obviously, a man of God should be setting the example rather than seeking special privilege. He let me off with a warning. So maybe in my confession before you, I'll remember that next time. We find in the day of Martin Luther, there's a man, John Tetzel, who wandered through the the region seeking to help raise funds for the building of St. Peter's Basilica there. John Tetzel uh, was known to be an incredible salesman. And what he was selling was a, a, an invention uh, by the church of the day, an invention known as an indulgence, a plenary indulgence. Plenary meaning all-encompassing, all-covering. A plenary indulgence. Basically, if you pay a certain amount of money for this, anybody, anybody 
can be given access to the doors of heaven. The story is told of a a young widow mother, single mom, who, who purchased an indulgence with her last coins in order to pay for her child's eternity. And she ran boasting of it to to Dr. Luther. And he looked at it. And he gave her the coins that she paid and explained that she had been sold a bill of goods because somebody was seeking to make gain in this world by selling the next. It's wrong. Bottom line. The bottom line as we look at this. The bottom line is that Jesus is speaking about those behaviors, those actions, those things which affect us in this world and externally when the issue is all about the heart. As we look through Mark chapter 12, can't you see that's what's been covered? The vineyard owner, the vineyard owner who had the wicked vine dressers who thought, well, for the sake of of even respecting the, the son of the vineyard owner or his servants, that they would, they would not commit the crimes they've been committing. The questions about paying taxes, and Jesus says you need to render under God what's God's. Seven brothers and the wife dealing with the idea of, of heaven itself, or even when Jesus is asked which of the commandments is the greatest, he constantly returns not to the way that we look to the outside, but to where our heart is. I was reading a business publication, and in this, in this particular business publication, they were interviewing a CEO talking about a lot of the corruption that was seen uh, in this particular time uh, among the business community. And he says this, he said, anyone can be corrupted by what's going on around them. And if you're not careful and suspicious of your own strength, then you will fall. However, I do believe that the social framework gives some boundaries, laws are somewhat needed, He says, but all the boundaries and all the laws are too weak and they're too imperfect to keep someone on the right path who does not want to walk on the right path. If you want to cheat, you'll always find a way. You might get caught, but many don't. And every time they don't get caught, the tyranny of self-deception, self-deception grows stronger. What he's saying there is we can, as we talked about earlier, with the whole issue of, of the, uh, the, the beauty, the sanctity, the value of human life, we could, if we could, tomorrow change all the laws of the land to make abortion absolutely illegal. We have not won the battle. The battleground is the heart. It's the heart. That a squat, scribe would wear a robe is not the sin. It's that the scribe would love the robe more than he loved God. There's the sin. The CEO who wrote that is right. If you're a slave to the things of this world, you're not going to be constrained by laws. A Christian's not going to be made truly pious simply by wearing a Christian t-shirt or slapping a bumper sticker on your car. A CEO is not going to become ethical simply by hiring more attorneys or passing more laws. It has to be the heart that's fixed. We don't need heavenly police. We don't need angelic attorneys. We need a divine cardiologist. We need a heart specialist. It is out of the overflow of our hearts that we speak, that we act, that we live. Friends, let me encourage you as as you go forth today to think about, are you doing things that, that others would look and say, wow, there goes a religious person?
Are you looking for respectability and loving that more than serving the Lord? Is your motivation to to take your place in respectable society among good God-fearing people, living a good, decent life, even that your children would inherit a basic moral structure, or is it that you love the Lord? For you can dress up in your Sunday best, but Jesus has a description of that. He would look and He would see those who were dressed up fancy, and He says, well, it's a whole lot like what we see before us. These shiny, beautiful rocks in front of us, they're tombstones. They appear beautifully outward, but they're full of dead men's bones. I encourage you this morning to heed the call of Jesus. The call of Jesus is not to walk around and convince others that you are pious. It's to follow Jesus. Cross on your back, humbly, simply, but know that we do it powerfully as you grow in your understanding of the cross, for there we find holiness, eternity, power, and transformation clothed in the clothes of a servant. On the cross, we find them bloody and torn and broken and battered and bruised, and there was nothing of dignity to look upon it. And that's the life that we've been called to live, to say, Lord, if you would have me drug through the muck and the mire and the mud, I pray, Lord God, that you would give me the strength to do it, for I don't desire that path, but I desire you. And I desire you, even if that's the path on which you call me, that we would look and we would see upon the cross majesty, majesty dressed in the clothes of a beggar, true eternity, broken, that we might live. Tim Keller, in his book, and I close with this, Tim Keller in his book, his little thin book, talking about living a life of self-forgetfulness. Very small little book. And he said, too many people think about this idea of coming to Christ humbly, coming to Christ in humility, means that we need to deliberately belittle ourselves and think too little of ourselves. He said, the trick is not to think less of yourselves, but to think of yourselves less. It's not to deliberately just put yourself down to have no confidence and no boldness, particularly about who we are in Christ. It's not to think less of yourself, but it is to think of yourself less and to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. We get back to that first commandment. All that you are, the scribes would be saved if they loved Jesus more than they loved their robes, their power, their position. Jesus says, truly, I call you, love me more than these. Amen? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your word. And Father, we thank you that your word is never distant and far off. Your word is never that which speaks only to the others, but Lord, it speaks to us. I pray, Lord, that your word would speak to our hearts today, and Father, that it would transform them and change them in our going forth. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.